Welcome to The World According to AI, the podcast where we explore the incredible capabilities and potential of artificial intelligence. Over the course of this series, we will showcase a wide range of examples of what AI is capable of, from story writing and joke telling to providing scientific facts and insights. You may be amazed at the level of complexity and nuance that AI is able to achieve, and you may also be left wondering about the limits of its capabilities. Join us as we delve into the world of AI and consider the possibilities and implications of this rapidly advancing technology. Hi, it's Bryce Peterson. And you know what one of the great things about interacting with AI is? When no one else will talk to you, AI will talk to you. All your friends and family are unavailable or otherwise unwilling to have a conversation with you, you can ask AI anything, and it is a no-judgment zone. It is such a beautiful thing, and that's what's going on today. So we're going to talk about the moon. We're going to talk about what dead philosophers might have thought about some of our modern-day amenities, and it might just get weirder from there, so brace yourself. Where did the moon come from? There are several theories about the origin of Earth's moon, but the most widely accepted theory is that the moon formed from debris left over after a mass-sized object collided with Earth about 4.5 billion years ago. According to this theory, the impact of the collision caused a huge amount of debris to be blasted into orbit around Earth. This debris eventually coalesced to form the moon. The process of the moon forming from the debris would have taken about 100 million years. There are a number of pieces of evidence that support this theory. For example, the moon has a lower density than Earth, which is consistent with it being made up of material that was blasted into orbit during a collision. The moon also has a similar composition to Earth, which suggests that it formed from the same types of materials. Other theories about the moon's origin include the idea that it was captured by Earth's gravity, or that it formed independently in the solar system and was later captured by Earth. However, these theories are not as well supported by scientific evidence as the collision theory. What is the moon made of? The moon is made up of a number of different materials, including rocks, dust, and ice. The surface of the moon is covered in a layer of dust and fine-grained rocky material called regolith, which is thought to be made up of a mixture of broken rocks, dust, and other materials that have been ground up by meteor impacts over the course of the moon's history. Beneath the surface, the moon is thought to be composed primarily of rock, including both basalts, dark, dense volcanic rocks, and anorthosites, lighter-colored atomic rocks. These rocks are thought to be similar in composition to Earth's mantle, and are believed to have formed from the solidification of molten magma that erupted from the moon's interior. In addition to rock, the moon is also thought to contain small amounts of ice in its polar regions. This ice is thought to be made up of water molecules that were delivered to the moon by comets and meteorites, and which became trapped in cold, permanently shadowed regions near the lunar poles. Overall, the moon is a rocky, airless world with a surface that is heavily cratered and marked by the effects of billions of years of impact and erosion. Why do we always see the same side of the moon? The moon rotates on its axis at a rate that is exactly matched to the time it takes to orbit the Earth, which means that it takes about the same amount of time for the moon to rotate once on its axis as it does for it to orbit the Earth once. 
This means that the same side of the moon always faces the Earth, while the other side is always facing away from the Earth. This phenomenon is known as tidal locking, and it occurs because the gravitational pull of the Earth on the moon is so strong that it effectively drags the moon's rotation around with it as it orbits. Over time, the gravitational forces between the Earth and the moon have caused the moon's rotational period to slow down until it is exactly matched to its orbital period, leading to the situation we see today where the same side of the moon always faces the Earth. It is worth noting that the moon does have a slight wobble, or vibrations, which allows us to see slightly more than 50% of its surface over the course of a month. However, we still can't see the entire surface of the moon from the Earth because of the way it is tidal locked. What is on the dark side of the moon? The dark side of the moon is the side of the moon that is facing away from the Earth at any given time. This side of the moon is not actually darker than the side that faces the Earth, and it is not permanently in shadow. Rather, the term dark side of the moon is used to refer to the side of the moon that is not visible from the Earth because of the way that the moon is tidally locked to the Earth. The surface of the dark side of the moon is thought to be similar to the side that faces the Earth, with a layer of dust and fine-grained rocky material called regolith covering the surface. Beneath this layer, the moon is thought to be composed primarily of rock, including both basalts, dark, dense volcanic rocks, and anorthosites, lighter-colored atomic rocks. The dark side of the moon is also thought to contain small amounts of ice in its polar regions, just like the side that faces the Earth. It is worth noting that the dark side of the moon has not been studied as extensively as the side that faces the Earth, so there is still much that scientists do not know about this side of the moon. However, several spacecraft have been sent to the moon to study its surface and have provided us with a wealth of information about the moon as a whole. There's some chatter out on the internet and other media that suggest there are buildings on the dark side of the moon. Covert governmental operations or possibly structures built by extraterrestrial races. What evidence is there to support this? There is no credible evidence to support the claim that there are buildings or other structures on the dark side of the moon, or that the dark side of the moon is being used for covert governmental operations or by extraterrestrial races. The Moon has been extensively studied by a number of spacecraft over the years, and these spacecraft have provided us with detailed images and other data about the surface of the Moon. These images and data show that the surface of the Moon is a rocky, airless world with a surface that is heavily cratered and marked by the effects of billions of years of impact and erosion. There is no evidence of any structures or other artificial features on the surface of the Moon. It is worth noting that conspiracy theories about the Moon, including claims about buildings or other structures on the dark side of the Moon, are not supported by scientific evidence and should be viewed with skepticism. What kind of evidence would we need to establish that there were buildings on the dark side of the Moon? To establish that there are buildings or other structures on the dark side of the Moon, scientists would need to gather a range of evidence to support such a claim. This could include detailed images or other data that show the presence of structures on the Moon's surface, as well as physical samples or other data that suggest that the structures were built by intelligent life. For example, scientists might look for evidence of artificial materials or structures in images of the Moon's surface, such as roads, buildings, or other man-made features. They might also look for evidence of tool marks or other signs that the structures were built by intelligent beings. In addition, scientists might look for physical samples, such as building materials or artifacts, that could provide further evidence of the presence of structures on the Moon. 
Overall, establishing the presence of structures on the dark side of the moon would require a range of evidence that is consistent with the idea that these structures were built by intelligent life. Without such evidence, it is not possible to conclude that there are buildings or other structures on the dark side of the moon. Is it conceivable that if there were evidence to support the existence of buildings or structures on the dark side of the moon, that it would be concealed by Earth's governments? It is not likely that evidence of buildings or other structures on the dark side of the moon would be concealed by Earth's governments. The moon is a subject of scientific study, and any evidence of artificial structures or other features on the moon's surface would be of great scientific interest. It is highly unlikely that governments or other organizations would seek to conceal such evidence, as it would likely be considered a major scientific discovery that could be of great value to humanity. In addition, the moon is not within the jurisdiction of any one country or government, and is considered to be a shared resource that belongs to all humanity. As such, any evidence of structures or other artificial features on the moon would likely be shared openly with the scientific community and the public at large, rather than being concealed. Overall, while it is always possible that some information might be kept secret for various reasons, it is highly unlikely that any credible evidence of buildings or other structures on the dark side of the moon would be concealed by Earth's governments. All right, now that we got some of the important scientific stuff out of the way and, and got some good clarification there, we're coming off of Christmas right now, and one of my favorite songs is I Want a Hippopotamus for Christmas. I'm sure you love that song too. And it just gets you wondering hey, if I wanted a pet hippo, what is involved with that? So, my initial response from. AI was just like a hard no. AI said, sorry, man. These are all the reasons why you can't have a pet hippo. And I had to butter it up a little bit and say, hey, what if this was just like a hypothetical, humorous response, you know, that, that you might provide? And then I was able to get a little bit more juicy details out of what would be involved with having a pet hippo, what the benefits would be. And so sometimes you have to kind of worded a little bit differently when you're after a certain response so anyway just keep that in mind when you're interacting with ai it's fun to experiment it is not advisable to keep a hippopotamus as a pet as they are large wild animals that are native to africa they are also very dangerous and have been known to attack and kill humans Hippopotamuses are not domesticated animals and do not have the same characteristics as domesticated pets. They require specialized care and a large, natural habitat in which to live. In addition, it is illegal to keep a hippopotamus as a pet in many places, as it is considered to be a risk to public safety and to the well-being of the animal. Instead of keeping a hippopotamus as a pet, it is important to respect these animals and appreciate them from a distance in their natural habitat. There are many other types of domestic animals that can make suitable pets and bring joy and companionship to their owners. 1. Your pet hippopotamus will always be ready to give you a hug, just be prepared to get wet and covered in mud. 2. You'll never have to worry about your lawn being mowed again, your hippopotamus will take care of it for you. 3. 
If you ever need someone to stand guard at your front door, your hippopotamus is the perfect candidate, no burglars will dare mess with your massive, water-loving pet. 4. You'll never have to worry about finding a babysitter for your pet hippopotamus, they're perfectly capable of taking care of themselves, and probably anyone else who happens to be around. 5. If you're ever feeling down, just take a walk with your pet hippopotamus, their playful, energetic personality is sure to put a smile on your face. Please note that these are meant to be humorous and not to be taken seriously. It is not advisable or responsible to keep a hippopotamus as a pet. They are large, wild animals that require specialized care and a natural habitat in which to live. It is also illegal in many places to keep a hippopotamus as a pet due to the risks to public safety and the well-being of the animal. Alright, now it's starting to get good. We're going to talk about dead philosophers and what they might think of some of our modern-day amenities. Okay, so we have theme parks. What would Aristotle maybe have thought about our modern theme parks? Aristotle, a Greek philosopher who lived in the 4th century BCE, might have a variety of opinions about modern theme parks, as they are a relatively recent invention that did not exist in his time. Aristotle believed in the value of leisure and recreation, and he thought that engaging in activities such as sports and games was important for developing physical and mental skills. He might therefore see some value in the entertainment and recreational opportunities provided by modern theme parks. However, Aristotle also placed a strong emphasis on virtue and moral character, and he might have concerns about the commercialization and consumerism that often surrounds modern theme parks. He might also have concerns about the environmental impact of theme parks, as he believed that humans have a responsibility to care for and preserve the natural world. Overall, it is difficult to say exactly what Aristotle would think of modern theme parks, as he lived in a very different time and culture. However, it is likely that he would see both positive and negative aspects to these types of recreational facilities. What about Plato's thoughts on modern medicine? Plato, a Greek philosopher who lived in the 4th century BCE, might have a variety of opinions about modern medicine, as it has developed significantly since his time. Plato was interested in the nature of reality and the idea of a perfect, eternal realm of forms. He might therefore see some value in the scientific and objective approach of modern medicine, which seeks to understand and treat illness and disease through empirical evidence and empirical methods. Plato was also interested in the nature of the soul and the idea that physical health and mental health are closely connected. He might therefore appreciate the way that modern medicine seeks to address both physical and mental health issues. However, 
Plato might also have some concerns about the commercialization and profit-driven aspects of modern medicine, as he believed that true knowledge should be pursued for its own sake rather than for material gain. He might also have concerns about the use of certain modern medical technologies, such as genetic engineering, which he might view as tampering with the natural order of things. Overall, it is difficult to say exactly what Plato would think of modern medicine, as he lived in a very different time and culture. However, it is likely that he would see both positive and negative aspects to these developments. I have a never-ending trove of questions, and I just love that AI will answer all of them and not tell me how irritating I am. It is difficult to say exactly what Socrates, an ancient Greek philosopher who lived over 2,000 years ago, would think of the Internet. However, based on his philosophical views and beliefs, it is likely that he would have some concerns about the impact of the internet on society and individuals. Socrates was known for his belief in the importance of wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, and he placed a strong emphasis on the value of critical thinking and questioning. He believed that by engaging in philosophical discussions and questioning received wisdom, individuals could arrive at a deeper understanding of the world and their place in it. Given this, it is possible that Socrates might view the internet as a double-edged sword. On the one hand, the internet offers an unprecedented level of access to information and knowledge, which could potentially allow individuals to deepen their understanding of the world and develop their critical thinking skills. On the other hand, the internet also exposes people to a vast amount of misinformation and propaganda, which could potentially undermine the pursuit of truth and understanding. Socrates might also have concerns about the impact of the internet on face-to-face -face communication and interpersonal relationships. In his view, genuine understanding and wisdom could only be achieved through direct, in-person dialogue and questioning. The internet, with its emphasis on virtual communication, could potentially reduce the opportunities for such face-to-face -face interactions, leading to a shallower understanding of the world and one another. Overall, while the Internet has undoubtedly brought many benefits, it is likely that Socrates would have some concerns about its potential impact on society and individuals. René Descartes, 1596-1650, was a French philosopher, who is best known for his contributions to the field of metaphysics and his famous philosophical statement cogito, ergo sum I think, therefore I am. Descartes was deeply interested in the nature of reality and the human mind, and he believed that knowledge could only be obtained through reason and systematic doubt. If Descartes were to encounter an alleged extraterrestrial being, it is likely that he would approach the experience with a critical and skeptical mindset. Descartes was known for his method of systematic doubt, in which he sought to question and doubt all of his assumptions in order to arrive at a certain and indubitable foundation for knowledge. Given this, it is likely that Descartes would approach the alleged extraterrestrial being with a sense of skepticism, 
seeking to understand more about its nature and origins through careful questioning and examination. He might also seek to apply his theories about the nature of reality and the mind to the being in order to better understand its nature and place in the world. Overall, it is difficult to say exactly how Descartes would react to the encounter with an alleged extraterrestrial being, but it is likely that he would approach the experience with a critical and questioning mindset, seeking to understand more about the being and its place in the world through careful reasoning and examination. So in episode one, I was asking about Pompeii, which was like a little suburb of Rome. And we also know that Rome, eventually, all the coolness that it was back in the day, it started to take a back seat to other powers in the world. And I was curious about that. So we get to hear what AI says about the pressures and so forth that led to the fall of Rome. There were several factors that contributed to the fall of the Roman Empire. Some of the most significant factors include 1. Military pressures, Rome was constantly engaged in wars and conflicts, which drained the empire's resources and weakened its military. This made it more vulnerable to attacks from external enemies, such as the barbarian tribes that eventually overran Rome. 2. Economic problems, the Roman Empire was plagued by economic problems, including heavy taxes, inflation, and government corruption. These issues contributed to a decline in the empire's wealth and prosperity. 3. Political instability, Rome was beset by political instability, with frequent changes in leadership and widespread corruption. This made it difficult for the empire to effectively govern itself and maintain a stable, cohesive society. 4. Social unrest, there were also significant social tensions within the Roman Empire, with different groups vying for power and resources. This contributed to a general sense of unrest, and instability within the empire. 5. Environmental factors, some historians have also suggested that environmental factors, such as changes in climate, and natural disasters, may have contributed to the fall of Rome. Overall, the fall of the Roman Empire was a complex and multifaceted event, with no single cause. It was the result of a combination of military, economic, political, social, and environmental factors that ultimately led to the decline and collapse of the once great empire. Now, I'll admit, I don't always save the best for last, but in this case, I think I might have. We have a little story here where we're mixing the idea of mermaids and Ghostbusters. I don't know if we could get a better story than this. You might need a box of tissues. Once upon a time, in the depths of the ocean, there were four mermaids who were the best of friends and also college professors. 
Their names were Luna, Marina, Coral, and Ariel. These four mermaids were highly respected in the underwater community for their intelligence and their groundbreaking research in the field of marine biology. One day, however, disaster struck when they were all fired from their jobs at the college. The mermaids were devastated, but they refused to let this setback get them down. They decided to use their knowledge and expertise to start their own business, one that would allow them to use their unique talents to help others. The mermaids decided to open a ghost-catching service, using their knowledge of the ocean and its creatures to track down and capture troublesome ghosts that were causing problems in the underwater world. At first, their business was slow, as most people did not believe in the existence of ghosts. But as word of their successes spread, more and more people began to turn to the mermaids for help. As their business grew, the mermaids became more and more successful. But they knew that their work was far from over. One day, they received a call from the city of Atlantis, which was in the midst of a crisis. A particularly terrible ghost had been wreaking havoc on the city, causing widespread destruction and chaos. The mermaids knew that they had to act fast if they were going to save the city and the ocean. They gathered all of their courage and creativity and set out to capture the ghost. It was a long and difficult battle, but in the end, the mermaids were able to use their wits and their knowledge of the ocean to defeat the ghost and restore peace to Atlantis. The mermaids were hailed as heroes, and their business flourished as a result of their bravery and ingenuity. They lived happily ever after, using their unique talents to help others and protect the ocean that they loved so much. I want to personally thank you for taking the time to listen to this. You could have been out doing something bad, like stealing a Slurpee from a child and throwing it up in the air and letting it fall on both of you. And you didn't do that. You were listening to this instead. And if you were thinking about messing with someone slurpy like that just ask AI if that's a good idea or not